640 Toronto presents Think Tank. The breaking stories you care about. Facts and opinions that get you through the day. Now, let's meet the guests. Let's meet those guests. We're joined this morning for our Think Tank panel with Mark Saunders, former Chief of Police, and Stephanie Smythe, broadcaster. Welcome to both of you. Great to talk to you again. Hey, good morning, Ben. All right, let's uh, let's start uh, with uh, this news of police warning of a, a new fake taxi scam, and uh, we've got some uh, we've got some audio here from Christine Hubbard from Beck Taxi. This is concerning because it's a face to face. I think that's something that feels kind of gross. They're preying on people who are caught off guard, who are good Samaritans, who believe that they're doing something to help someone. All right. Now, for context, here's what Christine is talking about and here's what the police are warning about. So they, a, 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 a cab will pull up and there will be a person in the back of the cab. Both of those people are in on the scam and they will claim that the cab will not accept cash, which, by the way, Christine Hubbard says is a red flag. Every cab will take cash. Everyone takes cash. Or mostly, mostly hipsters don't take cash. And <laughs> but anyway, they, they'll they'll stop an unsuspecting person on the street and say, hey, can you swipe your card and I'll give you the cash? They give you the cash. They steal your card information and they go to town. Uh, Mark Saunders, when you were the chief of police, was this as big a problem as is being made out to today? No, but I mean, this is a problem that's getting bigger and bigger each and every day as technology advances where they try to dupe you. And it, once they have access to your card or your information, uh, you know, you're, you're caught. And, and like uh, Christine said, this is when your guard is down. Yeah. Uh, you want to get somewhere so you're not thinking straight. And this transaction happens really quick. And uh, it's unfortunate, but we have to become more educated independently to figure these things out to reduce those factors from happening. Stephanie, should, should, should Torontonians become more like New Yorkers and just if someone stops you on the street, just tell them to go fly a kite and walk away? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it's come down to. It's sad, but it's true. Look, you can't have conversations or do You can't trust anything anymore. I don't even pick up my home phone, yeah. landline anymore, right? I mean, why do I have a landline is the first question. But, you know, hello, boomer. But it's like, you know, the, the having the cell phone even. I look at it and it says now on it, likely fraud and a lot of cell phone calls. So yeah. it's absolutely, to Mark's point, it's everywhere. And talking about it is the best thing we can do. My um, kid's grandmother was, and my daughter, you were talking earlier, Ben, about that scam, the AI and the fake voice that happened to my in-laws with really? my granddaughter. It was my daughter. Yeah, yeah, it happened. How, how far along with the scam does it get? Because it's a long con. Once they start, and we should tell people we're, what we're talking about is what, what can happen is an elderly person or a person that maybe not doesn't speak to their relative that much, their younger relative, will get a call on the phone and say, Grandma, it's me. I'm in jail. I need you to send me money. And in some cases, the grandma has to get in the car, go to the bank, take out the money, and then follow the instructions as to where to send it. It requires a lot of work, and you've got to keep that person on the phone for a very long time. Mark Saunders, uh, I, I, again, with, with, with AI being developed, it is, it's, it, these, these things are going to become more and more likely because they're going to have the technology to sound exactly like anyone they want. You know, you're right, Ben, and it's a perfect recipe because first and foremost, the, the elder demographic are the ones that are the most vulnerable, mm -hmm. and we are increasingly getting older faster in Canada, and technology is moving faster than the laws that are being created and the opportunities to communicate how you're getting uh, defrauded. So it is a perfect recipe. We really have to be cognizant. We really have to check our bills on a frequent basis a lot more than ever before and uh, be aware of our environment. 
Uh, let's move on to uh, Catherine Tate giving um, the, the, the head of the CBC giving um, testimony to a parliamentary committee. It's, it's really testimony for the ages. Uh, she, uh, she says that the $15 million um, bonuses that are up for grabs for uh, about 1,100 of, the, of CBC employees are performance-based. Uh, people shouldn't worry too, too much because this $15 million, it's not that much when you consider that we give out a billion dollars in salaries a year at the CBC. And she also says, I'm not in charge of whether or not I get a bonus. This, to me, is some of the worst communications I've ever seen. And the fact that it's from somebody who's in charge of a media conglomerate is insane. Uh, Stephanie used to work, you know, we, we worked in the same company, a private company that has, is governed by completely different rules. Oh, it's, yeah. I love her line. It's, these aren't frivolous awards given at Christmas time, you know, and it's an extremely small number. Well, how about the extremely small or no number a lot of the employees at the CBC are going to be yeah. getting, right? Like the walking papers and not to mention what could be ahead down the road, right, with the CBC, depending on uh, government changes and stuff. So it's just absolutely the worst communications. It is not endearing, obviously, to the uh, rank and file of the CBC. They want they smell it. They want her to say, I am not going to take my bonus this year. She should stand up and say that if she wants to you know, probably survive and thrive as leader of this organization. And Mark Saunders, what sort of commu- performance bonuses are these people getting when if you look at the list of the most successful television shows in Canada, the CBC is really hard to find on that list. And if they are on that list, it's Coronation Street. It's a show that they bought from the UK. And here, I'll tell you one really quick story. Back when we were shooting Canadian Idol and it was on during the summer, the, the CBC decided, and this was a Canadian show with Canadian kids and Canadian producers, and it was singing a lot of Canadian songs and highlighting Canada. The CBC in our first year decided to counter-program with a, a, a science, a, a sci-fi network miniseries produced by um, Steven Spielberg about alien abductions. That's where our money was going. I couldn't believe it. Well, Ben, I, I took this as a, a leadership trick question gone wrong. Yeah. You're a con corporation. You've just lost 600 jobs and it's around holiday season. Will you take your bonus? And boom, uh, that was not the right answer. Yeah, I mean, it's right I mean, up there with a, it's right up there with the Elise Stefanik asking questions to the people. Am I tell? Well, it's all about context. I mean, if you can't answer that question, a lot of people think that that disqualifies you from leadership. And maybe Catherine Tate's time has come to pass. Like, it's, it's, her time is done. She can't answer that question properly. It's time to go. And there's yeah, a lot. Lead by example. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, let's talk about somebody who leads by example. Uh, maybe the bad example when it comes to vacations is our prime minister. At least, however, he has been cleared by the interim ethics commissioner who says that, look, it was cleared by us. And as far as I'm concerned, this conversation is closed. It may be closed to the interim ethics commissioner. But do you think that this subject is dead? Uh, we'll start with you, Stephanie. You know, this is a tough one, right? I mean, people are leaders. Everybody is entitled to take. Okay, no, hold on, uh, Stephanie. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop. I am so tired of us having to couch every one of these conversations with every prime minister deserves to take a vacation. Every, that's been said. That is a given. We are not monsters. Nobody here is suggesting that the prime minister is supposed to be chained to his desk 24-7. Okay, we have to stop you, being so nice on this. Then? 
you want them to vacation? Do you want our leaders to vacation? I want them to vacation. I want to vacation in, 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 in at Harrington Lake at Christmas. The, the the government has paid for a new house that was pl- plopped down there a few years ago. Wasn't there when I lived there. A brand <laughs> new house was built. I don't remember. Free to do. The problem here is he should be free, be free Stephanie. Where they want to, but the problem is the communication of what he was doing, right? And how they can't get their story straight of exactly what, how, where he was going, who was paying for it or not paying for it. That's the bottom line is follow the money and they need to get their communications in order. And it's, you know, he did approach the ethics commissioner about it. He did take those steps. The problem is they want, everybody wants blood again because of this, of the changing storyline. Well, I've got to ask you, Mark Saunders, like he he went to the, the ethics commissioner. Why didn't he go to somebody, somebody who tells him the truth? Because it sounds like he's in an echo chamber of yes people. Why didn't he go to somebody who is willing to look him in the eye and say, bad move, dude. Don't do it. You've done it before. Never ends up well for you. Stay home on this trip. Guess what? There will be a day when you're not in office anymore and you can take any trip you want. And until that day, stay in Canada, stay in Quebec or stay in Ontario. Go to the the resident, the, the, the prime minister's residence uh, on, on Harrington Lake. Like, just keep your head down, man. Why doesn't he go to somebody like that? Why doesn't he have somebody who'll tell him that story? Well, I mean, if he was provided rules and governance and he complied with it, then we're stuck with it. But I think there's a bigger picture, and that is, you know, people that are hurting want to hurt others. And right now, Canada is not in good shape. As much as people are trying to tell Mm -hmm. me it's a wonderful place, we are stuck. And so, you know, when when our leader kind of, he's been involved in this kind of stew before with the Aga Khan holidays, you know, it's going to be challenged. And, and, and I think there lies the problem. Uh, you're right. Could it be in a better spot, less low key, this, that, the other? Who knows? But we don't know the conversation that was had with the uh, with the committee that he presented to it and, and, and what the dialogue was and accepted and what wasn't accepted. Look, I'm, I'm just looking at it as like uh, from a damage control perception. Yeah. I mean, if, if you see the pitfall before you and you you've jumped in it before you've if you put your hand on the stove and burnt yourself before, shouldn't you be more likely to not do it? Yeah. I, I, I'm not saying he hurt anybody. And yes, yes, no. the prime minister is entitled to his vacation. But like if I was a liberal donor, if I was a supporter of the party, I'd say, come on, man, you're not helping anybody here. And probably he's taking that heat. So the question is, why does he put himself in these yeah. positions? Sure. Okay. Like, as, as Mark mentioned, the Icon 2016. But, you know, he does what he does. And this is he's reaping the rewards or not of what that decision was. And maybe next time, Ben, he will be at Harrington Lake. <laughs> you, can, you can go visit him. <laughs> uh, Chief Mark Saunders, I am not a, uh, a, a skilled studier of, of, of biblical history. So I don't know all the signs of the apocalypse. But I got to think if it were written today, zombie fires would be on that list. I would open the National Post in Canada's zombie fires continue to burn even under thick layers of snow. If we're living in a time, Mark Saunders, where (laughs) where fires can burn under snow, which is should melt and create water to put out the snow or put out the fire. If this is what's happening in Canada, I think we got some problems of biblical proportions. But Ben, isn't that what's supposed to happen when we live on a planet that's flat? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I read it. I found it really interesting, yeah. actually. I, I really did. I'd never heard of it before. Uh, I didn't like the numbers to it when you talk about 106 that are going on right now. Uh, but, you know, <clears throat> live and learn every day.
And by the way, I do believe the planet's round. Yeah, I'm glad you cleared that up for us, sir. Uh, Stephanie, you remember when you were reading the news stories, there was, uh, you know, locusts and and, um, I think they had zombie zombie Insect. I can't remember. But there were there were there were yeah, there were signs of the apocalypse all the time, and and then you read them, and they they weirdly make sense. This one does make sense. We should tell people zombie fires are are um, fires smoldering smoldering through the winter underneath like peat moss covered in snow, and they will literally smolder all winter long, and then reignite when the snow melts. Right. And yeah, so they're not new. And to Mark's point, it's how many there are of them now. And you see them in, in northern Canada, like in, in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, like the colder climates uh, where they're smothered, but there's still a way to stay to keep burning. So what's happened is with the warmer temperatures, there hasn't been the snow dump that is sustained and stays and packs down to keep these zombie fires, you know, as as low level as possible so they can flare more easily when we have a hot summer like last summer out west was one of the hottest on record 2023 so the concern is these zombie fires are going to there's more of them that are simmering there and again they're not unusual but there's more of them now and they the fears are going to reignite and we're going to have a worse wildfire season coming up so you know it is it is scary and nobody's ever thought about it but you talk to firefighters out west and they're, they're very aware of them it is 7.44. I'm Ben Mulroney. This is Toronto Today. We are talking Think Tank with Mark Saunders and Stephanie Smythe. And uh, Mark, um, there's a piece in The Globe today by Richard Fadden, former National Security Advisor, who says that Canada used to punch above its weight, but our defense capacity now seems an impossible dream. And it, this is years upon years of of neglect to our military infrastructure that has led to a diminishing of our ability to protect ourselves, our, our, our ability to cast um, a positive image around the world with the, at least the appearance of military might. And because of that, our middle power, our soft middle power has all but evaporated. Yeah. Ben, I'm going to put the cart before the horse on this. And, and I'm going to say that the, the issue for me is the recruiting piece. And it's not just Canada, it's also in the States, but in Canada, it, it's really bad. So I, right now there is a 10,000 position vacancy and we've got a lot of burnout, reputational issues. And, and you know, the, the CAF overall it has been neglected. And, and that's something that, that we as Canadians should be taking a more serious look at when it comes to the budgeting, when it comes to the funding, and great, we're geographically placed in a position around the world where we're relatively safe when we look at the conflicts, but who's to say that we don't have a conflict tomorrow? Yeah. I know we've got issues up in the northern part of our country that we are well, well under protecting right now, but at some point in time, you know, as, as the world gets smaller and as technology increases, we are going to be caught with our pants down if we don't take a real overt look at what we need to do on a go forward to really invest in, in our military. Stephanie, uh, in, in this piece, Mr. Fadden says, why do Canadian politicians ignore it as much as they can? The simplest reason is that Canadians generally are not interested. Most of us are not currently asking our governments to take rapidly deteriorating mm-hmm. international environment as seriously as our allies do. Um, I, I, I think respectfully, they would care if we if if we framed it uh, seriously, if the press took it more seriously, if the politicians took it more seriously, these are right. these are issues of of national importance, of international value. If you want Canada, if you want Canada's priorities, green priorities to be taken seriously in China, we should have a stronger military like it's these right. things are hand in glove. 
Well, you know, we're so busy looking at our Wellness Wednesday here at home. You know what I mean? Like, just everybody taking care of themselves and looking after each other post-COVID. We're not paying attention attention to the very big picture. I think also defense is so uh, politicized as well, right? So you're in favor of funding the defense. Well, you know, Canadian Armed Forces and your ultra-right wing and that whole look at how we view protection for our country. And in the meantime, what's happening is we're seeing situations like cybersecurity breaches, which are huge, which there are huge experts in the Canadian Armed Forces, people who are educated, who can deal with this. And if we just need to invest in those services, because it's real, whether it is, you know, a real and present danger militarily or from the cyber perspective. Look, we're dealing right now with a security breach at uh, Global Affairs Canada. You know, and, and yeah. should we be more aware of these things that are going on from the cybersecurity aspect to military? And it is about recruiting. We have a family member in the Canadian Armed Forces. Our son, we're so proud of him. He uh, actually joined because it was easier to access education where he wanted to be a medic. And so this was a way, it's like unheard of, a Toronto kid would do that, yeah. right? It's all you always, it's only from you know outskirts, you know, rural areas where kids go into the armed forces. It's amazing what we've learned. It's amazing what they have to offer. You know, we're proud of what he's done and the opportunities that he's had. And that's the kind of message that has to get out there. So I've got a hot take on one of the reasons why our recruitment numbers might be as low as they are. I have no idea if the two of you are going to agree with me, but I'm going to say it and then I'm going to ask Mark to uh, comment. And then, Stephanie, you can give me your thoughts. But I think as a nation over the past, first of all, one of the reasons is I don't know that a lot of people want to go into a, a military where they know the stories of 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 of, of the needs and the wants of that military. Like, uh, why would you want to be a soldier in a military where you don't get the equipment you need? You you don't have the bullets you need. You don't have the training facilities you need. If it's derelict, who's going to want to stay there? So that's one of the reasons. But I also think more fundamentally, we as a nation have embarked on a on a um, on a cultural task of self-flagellation where uh, we we as a we have forgotten that Canada as a concept has has been a net benefit for the world. The ideas that we espouse, the values that we have, the influence that we used to wield, those were viewed as positives that we were contributing to the world. The world was better for having Canada in it. And over the past few years, it has been all about everything that we do wrong. All the all the problems that have led to us being the Canada of today, all of the the sins of our fathers that have been revisited upon our present. And when you put that all together in a blender, Canada doesn't seem like the place that the younger generation would stand up and want to defend. And I think that has contributed to why people are not signing up for the Canadian military. Well, I, I think a couple of things. I, I really don't. I think that there needs to be better investment. And, and, and I'll go back to 2022. 2022 was when they uh, procured firearms that were relevant. They had sidearms that were procured in 1944, shortly after the Second World War. So, I mean, that kind of reflects on how people feel about that particular agency. We have to be relevant, we have to be current, and we have to stay ahead of it. And there has to be affordability too, because who is going to join in, in our CAF and be able to live in Toronto? You have to live out in Petawawa or yeah. other places like that, and you're struggling. So there are things that we can do to incentivize it, but, but we have yet really taken that step because it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be high on the priority. Stephanie, am I off base? Is is, 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 is is how we see ourselves contributing to how uh, how much enthusiasm people have in wanting to defend us? Well, I think possibly yes, but there's also just bad PR. Yeah. It's like the, the opportunities for education are 
amazing yeah. in the armed forces. That's true. The opportunities for travel are incredible. The opportunities to contribute to society from what I've seen firsthand, you know, whether it's looking after uh, refugees in Warsaw from Ukraine, whether it's training, um, you know, Ukrainian soldiers in, in combat first aid or whatever, there are contributions that can be made that are really satisfying. And, you know, once you are done your service in the Canadian Armed Forces, you can be proud of that. And it's something you can take to your to potential employers because you don't have to do you know, long terms and go as long as you want. But for me, it's the educational aspect, the opportunities that happen after the fact. And that messaging doesn't get out there. It's not all about, which is obviously important, but it's not all about the, the, the arms that we have. That's obviously critical, but it's the opportunities to educate, to contribute that I think is, is not even discussed. So it, there's lost opportunity to promote. In America, in the United States, you see, you know, everything to be a Navy SEAL or whatever, yeah. right? It's just a whole different uh, perspective. So we're just always looking at ourselves like the underdog. We, we've got to stop, stand up and go, yeah, I'm proud. I want to take advantage. I want to contribute. And maybe this is an opportunity. And lastly, if, if you want to be taken seriously as a country, then there are serious costs involved with that. You want to be, you want to seat at the big boy table? You got to pony up the cash to defend your country. Mm-hmm. And that just, that, that's it. That's it. Um, when I first moved to Toronto, guys, I was so impressed by um, the theater district. I, 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 my, my family used to take mm. me down to every now and then we'd, we'd, we'd get a treat and my mom would take one of the kids to New York to go see a Broadway play. And it was such a special thing. I was like, wow, New York is so special with, the, with this live theater and the talent that I, got, I could see on stage. And then I moved to Toronto and it had this bustling mini version of that. And I thought this is a sign of an incredible city on the rise. And now we're hearing in the Toronto Star that two years after reopening from the pandemic, Toronto's theater sector has not recovered and it is on the brink of crisis. Um, I got to wonder what you think that's attributable to uh, Mark Saunders. Well, I, I, I think that I remember when I was campaigning and talking to small businesses and, and other entertainment factors, and they were saying that, that this is their pandemic right now. And I think that's what the problem is. Uh, right now, affordability is hard. People aren't getting out transportation. And do people even want to go downtown right now because of the conditions that it's in? Then on top of that, with the, the SIBA loans that, uh, that are now mm. due, I, I think we're going to see the dust settle. And we're going to have to do a really hard reset uh, on our city if we're going to be able to, to sustain it into the vibrant city that it, it deserves to be. So it, it got caught in that conglomerate of everything that's going on right now from a financial perspective. And so many people are stuck right now, Ben, and, and that's what the key problem is with this whole thing. Stephanie, there are so many knock-on effects from a, um, a diminished theater district and theater uh, culture. So many mm-hmm. of those shows are geared towards co- people coming in to dinner and a show, right? And, right? and you get people in and out, and the restaurants plan their reservations according to those shows, where hundreds, if not a thousand people can leave a theater all at the same time, and they all want to eat before they go back to wherever they came from. If these shows go away, that dinner crowd goes away as well, and the restaurants in this city that we have relied on for our identity and for tourism and for capital and for taxes, that'll dries up too. Oh, it's just a perfect storm what's happened here, right? Because of COVID, then we see the interest rates going up, so for people who you know, they want to come into town to watch the show or even people living in the city. Um, it's just so cost prohibitive now, not to mention 
paying for the theater tickets, right? These things add up. So people have to make choices. Am I going to pay for a hockey game or am I going to pay for a baseball game? I got to put my money in theater. You know, you have to make those choices. And then also when it goes to the, the dining experience ahead of time and the whopping cost of going out for dinner now, and then, you know, tipping is off the charts, whatever. It, everything is just that much more and something's got to give. So hopefully, you know, post pandemic, um, like things are going to get better. We see interest rates might start to fall maybe in June, right? So there could be a turnaround, but you know, there's, it's going to be that pain and hopefully it can survive it. That's the, that's the worry. And a lot of restaurants have shut down, you know, as Mark was talking about the whole um, having to pay back serve on the 18th, right? For yeah. a lot of restaurants and they, some had to close, right? It was just not possible. So just hope for the best, you know, and you got to ride this wave. Yeah, you know, hope hope is not a strategy, and no, I, I, and yeah. I gotta wonder, Mark Saunders, whether the strategy needs to be laying out the disaster that could befall our downtown core. I mean, you've it's it's a shell of what it used to be from um from a business standpoint with uh, with people working from home, but it could be a cultural shell of itself as well if um if if the theater district goes the way of the dodo bird, and if that happens, maybe maybe we gotta sound the alarm. Maybe a government. Bailout is should be on the table. What do you think? You know what? I, I think that when it comes to the, the, the government decisions, especially the city government decisions, they have to resonate with the public. And and so when you get things, and I'll speak about bike lanes, for example, uh, theater on King Street, I have to park somewhere, walk my wife to the restaurant first, and then from the restaurant to the theater, and then back to the car. I've got my 10,000 steps in. I, <laughs> I did not want to include that in my menu. What? So. I'm you sorry, know, Mar- Mark, Mark, I've got to ask you, you don't ride your bike to the theater? Oh, here we go. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. On, on date night with your wife, you don't get a tandem bike. I mean, the bike lane was built for you to <laughs> use. We should get Olivia uh, Chow to give us a theater tax. <laughs> that will help, right? On the talking budget. Yeah, exactly. Uh, lastly, before we, uh, before we end, and, and, and Mark, let's, let's stick with you because you just referenced date night with your wife. Do you have any rituals? that allow you to maintain a connection with your significant other. In the star, it talks about the, 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 the gentleman, has, he and his wife, they read to each other in the morning. Now, I, I, I would not read to my wife in the morning, except maybe a post that I read on, on, on Twitter. Uh, but, but we have our own ritual. When I am around in the morning, uh, I, we, we get each other a cup of coffee, and I sit at the foot of the bed, and she sits on the bed, and we, we chat about, you know, about our day, our day to come. We try to spend at least a half an hour together in the morning just to get that FaceTime in. Do you guys have any of your own rituals? Yeah, it's identical. It's that morning coffee where you get to quarterback the day, right? And it just seems to be consistent. And that's the, you know, the half hour that we really have where we're together and it's neutral and the dog's happy and we're all happy. So coffee, plan, and then go. Coffee plan and go. Yeah, because then the next time you're going to connect is probably going to be at the end of the day. So if you don't take that deliberate step to spend time together in the morning, sometimes days can go by without meaningful connection with that person that you know you've you've entrusted with your heart that you need that connection with. Uh, Stephanie, any any traditions that you've had? Well, okay. So my husband works in this industry, so he's working right now. Okay. <laughs> so I don't get to talk to him in the morning. But um, at night, you know, if it weren't dry, damp, or moist January, we'd be sitting in front of the fire having maybe a martini. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that and uh, just dog walking. Thanks goodness for that, right? Yeah. That's a lot. But, but you know, that, that moment to connect in front of the fire, I love. 
We, uh, when we take our dog out for a walk, my wife and I, we don't even talk to each other. We just stare and smile at our dog talking about what a good girl she is. Oh, oh yeah. Bruce. And her name is Bruce Wayne. So Miss Bruce Wayne Mulrooney. We say, oh, Bruce Wayne, you're such a good girl. Oh, yes, you see the squirrel. You're such a good girl. We don't talk to each other, but maybe that's a bonding moment as well. Hey, I want to thank, thank both of you for joining us. A wide range of topics, a wide range of opinions, and a whole lot of fun. So I hope we can do it again soon. Thanks, Thanks Ben. Cheers, Bye, Mark. Thank you.